Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. But in honor of Black Mirror's new season that premiered on Netflix on October 21st, I've been covering each episode of Charlie Brooker's technophobic sci-fi anthology series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com, and if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod. You can tweet me at ObsessiveViewer, or you can send an email to Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com. If you like what you hear and you want to help support the podcast, the easiest and quickest way to do that is to go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes' search results, especially in the very, uh, very competitive and very uh, saturated um, film and TV podcast uh, genre. And finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the donate button on an anthologypod.com or the donate link in the show notes of this episode. The show notes of this episode, by the way, can be found at anthologypod.com slash bonus 13. Any and all donations made are incredibly appreciated and will go, uh, go directly toward helping pay the fees to keep the podcast running. Today on the show, I'll be discussing Hated in the Nation. It's the sixth and final episode of Black Mirror's third season, which again premiered on October 21st, 2016 on Netflix. And as always, I will be spoiling the entire episode and maybe some past episodes of Black Mirror as well um, in this episode of Anthology. So if you haven't watched the episode yet, I highly suggest going on to Netflix and watching it and then coming back and listening to it. And uh, let's let's go ahead and get into it. I'll start with a brief plot summary of the episode, courtesy of IMDb. The plot summary is, In near-future London, police detective Karen Park and her tech-savvy sidekick Blue investigate a string of mysterious deaths with a sinister link to social media. Starring in this episode was Kelly MacDonald as Karen Park, who I know her best from Boardwalk Empire. She played Nucky Thompson's love interest in the in the in the show. She also lended her voice to the Pixar movie Brave. She was also in No Country for Old Men, Train Spotting, and she'll be in T two Train Spotting or Train Spotting Two uh, coming soon. Co starring as Blue Coulson is Faye Marseille, who uh, she was recently in Game of Thrones as the Waif, um, and she looks really different here. I I would not have thought that she was the waif at all um in in when watching black mirror and uh rounding out the cast is benedict wong as sean lee um man benedict wong i i love that guy he is fantastic um he is in one of my favorite um recent sci-fi space movies and that's uh danny boyle's sunshine uh, sunshine um He's uh, he's fantastic. He was also in Prometheus, um, the Netflix series Marco Polo, and he was recently in uh, Doctor Strange as Wong. Writer for this episode was Charlie Brooker, and I'm I have uh, a quote that I'll read from the same Entertainment Weekly article that I referenced in my Men Against Fire review. Um, in that article, E. W. said, uh, "People have a frightening tendency to mercilessly pile on with that." In- with online outrage when somebody does something unpopular. I assume that's where this idea started. And Charlie Brooker said, pretty much it was something I observed and it's easy to, uh, to get caught up in yourself. There are times I've joined in on the pile up. It's thrilling in some way. And I'd read John Ronson's book. So you've been publicly shamed, which if you haven't read is brilliant. That's where that stemmed from. Um, I haven't read John Ronson's book, but I'm, it's on my wish list now, um, on audible. Um, and, and they had also, EW had also asked him this question that I thought I'd, I'd throw into this episode as well. Um, the question was, uh, is there really a part of your brain that if you drill into it, you experience excruciating pain? Um, I thought the brain had no pain receptors and Charlie Brooker's response was that's artistic license. I suspect there is, I tend not to research things like that in case I find out it's not possible. Uh, that's what I would call a movie moment. There must be a part of your brain that possesses that processes pain, so it stands to reason that if something interfered with it, it could hurt like hell. Whether true or not, I don't know. So I thought that was some interesting context to some of the elements of the episode here and the themes as well. Director for this episode was James Hawes. 
He directed. He has directed five episodes of Doctor Who. He's directed some episodes of uh, Penny Dreadful, and four episodes of the original UK series version of Mad Dogs, which was adapted into a one-season Amazon Prime series by uh, Sean Ryan, who did The Shield, which I actually mentioned in my Men Against Fire uh, review. And uh, I can't remember who the other person was that that co developed it with him. But um, if you have Amazon Prime, I recommend checking out Mad Dogs. It was a pretty good one season show. Um, uh, beautiful, beautiful to look at. Uh, it's set in uh, Belize, if I remember correctly. And it's just beautiful, beautiful uh, setting there. Um, so I, I recommend that. That's on Amazon Prime. And I also had a bonus review on obsessive viewer reviewing season one of mad dog. So find that too. Anyway, let's get into my actual review of, um, hated in the nation. And, uh, I'll just go ahead and start with my initial thoughts. These are kind of the thoughts that I had after watching it the first time. And these are just notes that I jotted down. And at the end of watching it the first time, I really wasn't that crazy about it. Um, the episode kind of plays out like a near future, uh, crime procedural that's mixed with this cyberbullying social justice warrior subtext that just didn't feel like it landed that much with me in that first viewing. Um, at its heart, Hated in the Nation is a cop thriller, and I just didn't think that that paired well with Black Mirror's style um, at this point in Black Mirror's run. And having said that, I do think the automated bees thing, the the drones... Uh, I thought that it was clever, but I, I have to admit, I'm just, I'm a little over this, uh, constant surveillance plot elements that's popping up in so many different, uh, forms of media. Like I get it. It's, it's very indicative of the time. It's very much a reflection of the time we're living in. And it's, it has, it's not, it's not so much a plot device as it is a commentary on our current culture and everything. And that's important to represent and that's important to, to have in media and, and to, that's an important element to put into art. I, that is not lost on me in any way, but it seems like when, when everyone has a surveillance plot line, it's just kind of hard to stand out. And when that popped up in, in hated in the nation, it kind of became another one of those stories rather than a really interesting look at that, at that story. Um, and that was my, that was my, those were my initial thoughts. I'll dig into it in more detail now that, uh, I've watched it again. I have notes for my other viewing, but those were just my initial thoughts. And let's go ahead and see if, see if Hayden, the nation got better on a repeat viewing. So, um, the sh- the episode opens with the, with Karen at a, at court proceedings, at a court proceeding, a tribunal. Um, and, there's a certain shock to it when you rewatch it and realize that this is the result of such a massive scale catastrophic event. Um, that's not lost on me. And that was, it was effective in that regard, but it didn't make me too eager to watch the episode too much, uh, from that opening scene. But one thing I want to point out is that once, once Karen gets into, into the courtroom, into the, into the room and she is speaking into the microphone, um, her, her face, the way that her face is framed in the shot is she is on the left side of the screen with half of her face completely out of frame. And I have to plead ignorance. I don't understand why, why that, why, uh, stylistically that was done. Um, I don't know why the choice was made, but I, I do like it. I think aesthetically it is, it is a good introduction to, to the story and the character and it's brief and I'm, and I'm probably spending too much time on it, but, um, it reminded me of uh, the USA show Mr. Robot. Um, Mr. Robot has a tendency, at least from the first season that I've seen, uh, Mr. Robot has a tendency to frame actors in the corners of the screen. So in Mr. Robot, like you'll have a wide shot of two people talking, but they're, they're in like the bottom corner of the actual screen. And I could be completely wrong on this too, but I think in Mr. Robot's case, it's uh, it's to evoke feelings of unease or discomfort in the viewer. That's my assumption at least. But, but I, I wasn't crazy about the first season of Mr. Robot. I didn't really like it that much. And I think that they used that a little bit too much and it was, uh, it, it wasn't subtle enough. 
to to really make a make a statement. It was just kind of a little bit too much throughout the whole season. But here in Hated in the Nation, this opening shot, um, since it is the opening to the character and it's brief and it's something that isn't really repeated throughout the episode that much, if at all, um, here I, I like it better. It's it's a bit more palatable and it's, uh, even though I don't really understand why they did it, it uh, didn't detract from the experience for me. And so we get the flashback, or the whole episode is essentially her testimony shown to us, um, the events leading up to the the catastrophe. And something that struck me about this episode, and it could be to the episode's detriment, um, although I don't think it necessarily is, because even if, I don't know, the the thing was, this is a mostly contemporary story. There's not much future technology. It's kind of similar to uh, the national anthem in that it is pretty contemporary. The technology at the heart of it is um, social media and Twitter and and how how social media fuels outrage and stuff. Um, there is plenty of future tech. There's more future tech, obviously, than the national anthem and everything, but it isn't as prominent as say the mass implants in, in men against fire or um, everything about 15 million merits. This is kind of a subtle contemporary slash near future storyline. And this is evident in the opening or in the beginning of the episode when Karen comes home, Um, we kind of see her walk in, we see the motion, motion activated lights and uh and a remote controlled blinds that she does and like there's some weird sound effects with turning on the TV all that is very subtle and it's not it's kind of playing playing down the futureness of the episode and when she turns on the TV we actually get our i believe our first um easter egg of the episode in that uh the news scroll that goes across the uh, bottom of the screen when she's watching the news says the US military announces mass project so i thought that was pretty cool especially coming right after um, men against fire. Although I got to assume that they didn't intend, I, I assume that they didn't, the production order of the episodes are, is obviously different from the, from the airing order. So it coming right after men against fire was probably a, a nice, uh, coincidence. I highly doubt that it was, um, by design. Um, so we get kind of an introduction to the Joe powers, character and how she is the she's at the center of this wheelchair martyr outrage from from the internet and i have to say just from he at this point for an episode that i didn't really like all that much overall um it takes on a subject that i have somewhat strong feelings about um the whole internet culture outrage culture that this episode is um is taking a shot at is a legitimate problem. Like I just, I can't, uh, I, I'm, I don't like the whole let's pile on and, and, and attack someone because they did something, something crappy, um, or something morally reprehensible. I, I know people who have had things happen to them that are fabrications that the media have, uh, has, uh, just reported on and then just in a simple in a simple um in a simple case you get in the facebook page you get comments just villainizing someone before they before there's a trial it's just it's a very warped thing that the internet has had with um regarding our justice system essentially it's just a really messed up uh messed up practice and it's something that i have strong feelings about because you know, if like if the internet is um, the judge, jury, and executioner of of us, what does that say about society? That's I mean, it's if the media and the internet can assign blame or guilt or um, point point itself at a certain individual, a group of individuals, what have you, um, it turns into something really dangerous and, and insane really. Um, and in that respect, I like the way that 
this episode of Black Mirror handled that, at least with Joe Powers' character, because we get introduced to her. She has all of these mentions and all of these uh, notifications popping up, and she seems kind of at peace with the whole with the whole being being at the center of an outrage. Like she's, she kind of revels in it a little bit. Um, and you see that as she, as she's walking home. Um, and then like when she receives the cake and everything, she eats it and it's, you know, she's, she sees it as, as something that is entertaining to her. Um, but what I like about that is that this episode doesn't go into much detail about the wheelchair martyr. Um, but if you freeze frame the article that Joe Powers is reading, which also just the fact that she's reading her own article in, in, uh, with sweet satisfaction is, is pretty funny or pretty evident of her character, essentially. Um, if you, if you read the piece, the, the writing that is on, that is on the screen in that one scene, um, the actual convert, uh, the actual controversy that called for, Joe's internet hate is, is kind of in a gray area there. Um, on the surface, the way that the internet or the way that the characters around Joe, um, the way that they depict it or the way that they, their perspective of her, of her, of her, this outrage is that it seems like Joe is calling out the public opinion that a woman who killed herself over the country's treatment of the disabled is, uh, attention seeking and not a hero. She's, she's just kind of leveling really hurtful words at someone who's dead. Um, that's on the surface of it. But if you go back and you read the actual article, you see that, uh, we only really get the opening paragraph of it, but it gives us more context to it. It points out that the wheelchair martyr had committed suicide by setting herself on fire in public while in full view of a school bus full of kids. Um, So like she, like in the article, I don't remember verbatim what it says, but it says something like, um, she's not a hero. She's not a hero because just think of the, (laughs) this was a little, this was a little like, uh, trollish on, on that part. And I'm sure that Brooker by design put this in there, but, um, think about the, the, the police and firefighters who, who must've burned their hands to put out the fire, (laughs) but she met, but she does mention the school bus full of kids and how the kids are probably now traumatized from seeing a woman set herself on fire. Um, and I mean, that's, that is, uh, that is an interesting gray area for this controversy in this episode because yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, yet she still draws the vitriolic hate from the internet. And I kind of think that that's the show. That's the statement that the show is making. Um, just that internet outrage is completely black and white and, um, there's never any gray areas when people argue, when people argue on the internet over something, it's never a, I see your point. It's never a point counterpoint. It's more of a, here's my point. I'm not going to listen to your point and we're just going to argue in circles. That's my perception. At least I I, I say that there's gray areas and everything with the Joe Powers storyline. Um, but that that is a little undercut by the frankly the complete glee that she has for the outrage um she is she's eating it up and she's it seems more like she's not making a uh make, taking a stand against something or anything she's more just playing the system she's trolling she's trolling uh the community essentially but it's fine because she ends up dead within the next scene so um yeah so we've had the introduction of Karen with her house all alone. Um, and then we get the introdu- introduction of Blue, who is referred to as Karen's shadow on, on the case. And I mean, man, I really like that pairing. I, I like these two characters together. And even though I don't like the episode um, overall, I mean, I would I would I would love to see like a spinoff TV series where it's uh kind of like a broad church style detective show with Karen and blue, um, working together. I think that would be cool. Um, but anyway, so they're working Joe Powers's death. Um, and I really like the production design of that scene because, uh, we see Joe's corpse just on the ground on the floor of, uh, on the fl- floor of her, I think office, I'm not sure where it was, but, um, 
And it's just it's it's really gory and and just disgusting. Her throat is slit multiple times. Um, they point out the evidence of the of the struggle and everything. Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of David Fincher's Seven, but on a smaller scale. I mean, it's not as completely grotesque and, and disturbing as the the death scenes in those or the aftermath or the crime scenes of the of that movie. But it seemed it seemed gruesome enough in its own right, and it got the point across. And I love that there is a misdirect with this cake that was delivered to her. Um, I thought that was a nice touch because even though, even though at this point the death is clearly not caused by poison, which was, I mean, that's kind of what we're, at least I was led to believe it would be because um, we get this random cake delivery and then we have Joe just eating the cake without, without uh, regard while her husband is, is worried that it might not be safe. Um, I, I like it because it int- introduces an element of the story that could be a red herring or completely pay off later. At this point, there's no saying, there's no telling uh, what's going to end up, what it's going to end up as. Because, um, sure, the death is very grisly and very violent, so it's not necessarily poison. But who's to say that? Like in in more cliche ridden crime procedurals like that delivery guy would be a complete a complete uh um a a complete suspect and they even the camera even focuses on the uh the surveillance camera outside of the door to her to her house because uh, that's just signaling signaling to us as a misdirect that this guy might come into play later and i just i enjoyed that i thought that was a nice touch to it and at this point in the episode, I also like the music because it was really subtle and, and kind of piercing. Um, I'm thinking in particular of when Karen arrives at the Joe Power scene. It's uh, kind of hard to ascertain whether the sound that we're hearing in the in the episode as she pulls up is of the car, if it's just some some weird sound effect of a futuristic car, or if it's a subtle kind of single note score that's kind of piercing. Uh, throughout the throughout the scene, I, I like that. I'll talk more about the music later because it kind of takes a turn that I'm not uh, that it, it doesn't it doesn't sustain that subtleness or piercing quality to it later. So I'll talk about that later. Um, but after the actual scene of the crime scene, we get Karen and Blue kind of bonding as Karen is driving Blue home, and it's kind of a it's kind of a cliched uh, detective bonding scene, but. I just, I, I ate it up. I, I loved it. Um, uh, it was, it was fantastic. And it, it's both, it's, it's a several different things. It's, um, the characters bonding. It's really, uh, it's really hammer or it's really, uh, defining the differences between blue and Karen and that blue is this tech savvy, um, internet person and Karen is kind of a, a, a Luddite in that, in that sense. She doesn't care about the, about the internet or, or technology. Um, and one of the scene, one of the lines that I really loved was blue saying that she's referring to the, to the cell phones and she says, these things absorb who we are. And I just thought that that was really great. That was a, that was a really nice, uh, commentary on, on society and our, our, um, reliance on technology. And then we get another Easter egg that is really, really interesting because the characters reference by name, uh, they refer to the Rannick case, uh, referring to Ian Rannick from white bear and blue actually says, I was the one who cracked his souvenir folder. And she goes on to say that she saw a bunch of images that she can't erase from her mind. And unless I'm wrong, I, I, I don't think I'm wrong, but I mean, this is the most direct cross reference in the series thus far. Like this is the most, Everything, everything else that is, um, everything else in the series that has referenced another episode has been kind of an Easter egg, um, and just nothing, just something that people can point out and see. Like they'll they'll see the white bear symbol somewhere. They'll see um, reference to a company or something like on a screen. But this is the this is the only time I can think of where characters have actually in dialogue referred to other things in black mirror. So I thought that that was really interesting and, um, really kind of plays with my mind a little bit. And at this point in my rewatch, it's interesting because I, my main gripe with this episode, it is, 
is that it feels like a cop procedural and it doesn't feel as much like a black mirror episode as, as past episodes have. Um, but at this point, if, if I stopped looking at this episode as a black mirror episode and more like that procedural that it kind of is leaning toward, I really can't deny that the procedure and the chemistry between blue and Karen, um, I can't deny that that, that that is definitely handled really well. Um, the scene in the car plays with some of the partners bonding tropes, as I said before of the genre, but it's still, but it, it comes across as more subtle and it feels more genuine despite it being a bit cliche. I, I really appreciated that scene. Um, and then we get more of the investigation and everything. And I loved, uh, there's more kind of, kind of partnership bonding in this scene because, um, blue is talking about how, uh, how everyone on the internet has hated, hates Joe. (laughs) Um, and I love that Karen's response is like, she is comparing hate online to hate in a marriage. And she goes into it and she says, I don't remember the exact quote, but she says that, uh, hate in a marriage is 3d. It, it's, it lives with you and, and it's, it evolves with you. Um, and then when she says that blue just gives her, gives her this look. And then Karen says, yeah, I'm divorced. (laughs) I just, I love that. I just, I love the character building between these two characters and the chemistry building between them. I just, I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, but even if I like the procedure aspect of the story, I still think that it takes a little bit away from what Black Mirror has really set out to do from the start. Um, the procedure side of the scale is just a tad bit more weighted than the Black Mirror side, in my opinion, because we get it is somewhat more contemporary than other episodes. Um, but this is playing out more like a a detective mystery episode, um, which playing with the convention the way it has, I mean, I'm like I said, like I've said, um, like I've said elsewhere in this, I'm liking, I'm liking the chemistry between the characters. I'm liking the play on the conventions and so much so that I wouldn't mind seeing a Charlie Brooker produced detective show, (laughs) but I just feel like there's something just nagging at me that makes me feel like this doesn't fit black mirror the way that i I've experienced Black Mirror. And we get Joe's husband uh, waking up in the hospital and the kind of uh, interrogation or the questioning of him. Um, which, before I get into that, I really like that um, Karen is so against, like, you know, internet and, and technology. And she's of the pairing. If you go th- for the cliched archetypes in, in the pairing, she is the seasoned detective while Blue is the new the new blood. Um, I like that she sticks to the assumption or, or she works with she works more on the theory that Joe's husband is the culprit because she's been around. She's seen some stuff and she knows that that's how it usually works out. But she does it with an open mind like she like when it becomes more clear that she uh, that he isn't at fault, she's open to it. She doesn't, she isn't a stickler for it to the point where she's annoying or anything. Um, it's handled well, well, but, um, I just want to talk about kind of the horror of Joe's husband's experience in this episode. I mean, just the thought of actually seeing your spouse mutilate and then kill themselves is really, really horrific. And it kind of almost feels like somewhat of a running theme of this season, um, and really Black Mirror as a whole, because it seems like more and more characters are finding themselves in or subjecting themselves to horrific situations. I'm thinking of Stripe, re, uh, Stripe being forced to replay the farmhouse kills in Men Against Fire. Um, Cooper in Playhouse being just in the house, a uh, subject of his own uh, psyche. And uh, also Lacey's increasingly humiliating behavior and humiliating moments in nosedive. Um, that kind of seems like something that, uh, is a common thread throughout a lot of episodes in, in black mirror. And I like that the investigation into Joe's death is, uh, or takes them to the teacher and not necessarily like the, like the cake delivery person. It takes them to who ordered the cake. And it's this, just this school teacher who went in with a bunch of people to, uh, purchase this cake to send it to send it to Joe. 
And this was a really interesting scene for me because the teacher isn't empathetic after the death. Um, she actually, she comes across as cold and she justifies her coldness by saying, but did you read what she wrote? And that is such a great commentary on um, how we perceive things and, and what how we react to things. Um, because it is, there is this coldness, this distance and this disconnect between um, uh, public figures or people in the public light and like separating them from like being in the public light and being a human being because when they're in, when they're in the public light their defining characteristics uh and their defining qualities are the things that they are in the public light for and that dehumanizes them to the mass internet essentially in a way that just completely um completely makes com- uh makes people's reaction be super cold and, and uh, terrible. And the kind of main thing about this episode or the main, one of the, one of the big things about this episode is that it's social media as judge, jury and executioner. And I love the reveal that the death to hashtag um, is kind of what is, what is uh, targeting these people that are, that are dying. And I love that it's a commentary on social media as judge during an executioner. And I would even go so far as to say that they are passive aggressive executioners. Um, but they're tweeting the death to hashtag without regard to what it's actually saying. And later in the episode, when the media uncovers it, the, the hashtag is still, still happens. And it's really, it's really interesting commentary on, on internet culture. And so we, then we get our next death scene and what I like about the way that the first that that the death sequences are handled is that it escalates each time. Like when we have Joe Powers, this is a mystery. This is a setup of a mystery. We don't see her die. We only see the aftermath. We get bits and pieces before her last scene that reinforces that she is the subject of internet hate, um, introduces this really uh, um, uh, curious cake delivery um, that could that could be something or a red herring and then we just see the aftermath and we get we get a really confusing statement from the spouse of the of the of the uh, of the of the deceased but with tusk's attack we actually see what happens a little bit um, we're there firsthand when it happens and it retroactively confirms Joe's husband's alibi. So that's pretty cool. That's a good way to kind of, uh, bring us, bring us up to speed with what's going on. And it also still u- utilizes misdirection like the cake did with Joe. Um, there's a ro- there's the roadie that drops the crate that distracts the, um, the guy that Tusk was with enough to where we don't see what happens to Tusk right before it happens. And also we have Tusk taking the joint, which, um, kind of a similar thing like he's putting something into his body the way that um joe is putting the cake into her body so you can kind of still think like are they being poisoned you don't really think you your mind doesn't go to oh metallic bees let's or <laughs> bee drones let's let's do this and tusk's actual death scene um is just so disturbing um him in the mri is oh man it's it's gruesome and when Blue and Karen go to the granular office, um, I like I, that's when I kind of start really liking the juxtaposition of the two characters. Um, it reinforces Blue as a tech savvy, um, trendy internet person um, who is accepting of current tech trends and even embraces them, while Karen doesn't care about them at all and she doesn't take the future seriously. Um, and we get that introduced while also getting bits and like drops of uh foreshadowing um or hints to the to future uh, to to the future kind of big picture storyline because we have Karen criticizing granular um uh first of all she's criticizing blue's use of social media as investigation really and then she also goes on to criticize granular for spending billions of dollars in branding and we get kind of what seems like almost a throwaway line at that point that comes back later in a big way. We have blue saying that they, uh, they're government funded part of its government funding as well. Um, 
and at this point we get more more insight into these autonomous bee drones and as a concept i find it re- i find that really interesting um as crazy and high concept as the actual bee drones are i mean just they're talking about countless 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 little drones that that are maneuvering throughout throughout the world maybe even though that they are crazy and high concept um the way that they're explained in the episode isn't too over the top it actually makes sense within the context of the of the story and i kind of i like the way that they introduced um or uh, the way that they handled this concept because it could have been really too much and, and way too over the top so really at this point in the episode i am i'm on board with this episode i'm on board with it it's it's still a little bit police procedural but it's it's to my it's to my liking it isn't too bad to uh, so far it doesn't really feel too much like black mirror but i'm on board with the characters and everything and then we get this third victim and again it's an it's an escalation of the of of what we've seen um it's a really good narratively structured that we don't see um that neither none of these victims are the same um the first one we we've uh we just see the aftermath the next one we see it happen then this third one clara meads who pretended to pee on uh, uh, a statue um this is her this is the team trying to prevent the next victim and that like that pacing that that plot the plotting in this episode up until this point i i enjoy quite a bit and i like how they're how they dig more into the hashtag itself um this is a hashtag that went viral people are tweeting hashtag death to and naming people without knowing anything about the actual hashtag um and we see that the the hashtag actually originated with um clear instructions about it um, saying that if, uh, every day after 5 p.m., whoever gets the most is going to be taken out and everything. Um, so then this kind of propels the story into this this time-sensitive, like, okay, we need to save this save this person who's going to be the next victim. And I I love it. Um, it's I'm right there with it. It's tense. It's it's really exciting. And um. Also, we get Benedict Wong who pops up, and he's he's more integral to the plot this uh, at this point. So it kind of becomes this triumvirate of investigators. Um, although there is that one guy who kind of is off to the side. I don't even remember his name, um, but he's he's kind of a he's kind of a supporting role in this in this uh, group. But we've got Benedict Wong, uh, we have who plays Sean. We have Sean, Karen, and Blue going to save Clara. And what I love about it is that we get like in an episode that isn't too keen on, on being a big technology thing, the B drones, notwithstanding, um, Sean just goes up and he's like, Hey, let's, here's this uh, self-driving car that changes all the lights to green for us on our way to get, to get uh, to our destination. Let's, let's go. I'm just, I love that. I thought that that was a really cool, um, element to throw into the episode. And then they get Clara to the safe house. And at this point, I mean, this, this episode almost turns into a completely different story. And I really appreciated that at the time. Um, even though it will go on to become somewhat of the episodes, not necessarily downfall, but to its detriment. Um, the safe house sequence itself though, becomes Black Mirror's version of Hitchcock's The Birds. And I freaking loved the surprise and the suddenness of it. I thought it was really cool and really intense. And at this point, it it also escalates the actual threat because at this point we only had one bee killing people somewhat discreetly. And now we are introduced with, uh, introduced to entire hives of thousands of bees coming after one person and I just think that that was just a really great uh, way to hold interest and, and uh, hold the audience's interest after we've seen, we've already seen two kind of subtle death sequences. Now we're into this kind of heart pounding, intense horror movie contained in one sequence. And I, I really like that. And it comes to, um, comes to a head at the bathroom scene, which I found really, really unsettling. And it's funny because 
earlier earlier uh when they introduced the whole b drones or the the drones the adis is what they're referred to um i was thinking about how interesting it is and how it's cool that the b drones are interesting uh interesting concept uh because when you think about it in real life like at least me personally i'm terrified of bees um because i don't want to get stung by them and uh it's just interesting to think that they're not a threat in this world but because they can't they can't actually sting anyone but it plays with this concept of like it makes them terrifying um for a completely different reason um so in in the whole way that the bathroom scene just plays out with the 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 ADI coming in through the vent is just really really well done and really intense so at this point there are three deaths and I'm on board with it but then the episode kind of takes a kind of takes a hard turn for me and it turns into a lot more than what we've had so far it kind of feels a little discombobulated at this point we we learn that granular um allowed the government to have a backdoor in into the drones for moments of national security and that's the introduction of the surveillance plot line and like like I said I appreciate what the show's doing I really do um I'm just kind of surveillance fatigued when it comes to TV and movies right now um I do recognize how how important it is again um obviously um and especially now but it's it just it just didn't do anything for me or bring anything new to the table for me um and I did like the way that once the media gets word of the hashtag though um it becomes this <laughs> it becomes a media event of pig fucking proportions um i and i like that pickering's reaction to being number 1 is to leak a memo about lord farrington to get him killed instead like that that element that whole that whole sequence is is really interesting because it's showing you know human nature and of this one person really um but at the same time we've got we've got suddenly this introduction of the government being involved in the drone program uh we've got the media kind of uh playing up the whole death to hashtag thing we've got uh pickering um who at this point we've really only seen on tv um he's not really introduced as as a really pivotal character. He's just introduced in passing on, on the screen. Um, we've got him and his whole, uh, his awareness that he is the next one that's going to be selected. If he's not, if by five o'clock essentially. Um, and then we've got Karen speaking with, um, Tess about social media bullying. And she's because she used to work for granular and there was this whole, it kind of happens kind of suddenly where she just, Tess walks in and, and Karen interviews her and she learns that, uh, uh, Tess quit for personal reasons and that she was the victim of social media bullying and, uh, she had tried to commit suicide and she worked for HR for granular. It's all a lot of information at once. And, um, a big point of it is that Tess talks about what it's like to be at the, uh, center of a media, a social media um, witch hunt, essentially, and she equates it. He, she equates online bullying to a mental illness. And while I really like that analogy, and I like what the show was doing there, because it is it is really interesting, um, and uh, of our time, really, that whole scene really felt more on the nose than I think it should have been. Um, and that that was to its detriment because it's. Because the show is really good at creating this commentary about us and and what we're doing, and this is a show that it shows um, shows what we can be ten minutes from now if we're not careful. Or I don't remember exactly how how Charlie Brooker had pitched it, but to that extent, it's like the future ten minutes from now if we're not careful. Um, but this seems more like more like a character just talking to us as the audience, saying that. Hey, online bullying is a mental illness and and this is the reason why it's it's felt a little too on the nose for me and I I didn't I didn't really connect with it that way. And plus I'm juggling with so many different things that are uh going on suddenly after we've had this detective story that has been 
that has been gradually developing through three different victims um, through it. So suddenly, like I said, suddenly we've got the uh, protection of of Pickering. We've got Tess Walker. We've got the introduction of uh, the introduction reveal and uh, background given to us on the the villain character of the episode Garrett. So as much as I like the switch from single victims to a nation, nationwide threat, because I, at some point I do think that it does elevate the actual story or it, no, that's not fair. So I, on one hand, I do like the switch from single victims to a nationwide threat because it reaches a point where we've had three people die. We need something to really uh, elevate things or really bring things home. Um, I do like that on paper, but I don't think it does the pacing any favors because, because I mean, all in one fell swoop, we've got a manifesto. We have the Pickering threat, the media attention. We're being given background on Garrett suddenly. And it's just, it's a lot to take in late in the episode. And I feel like the, the pacing of it is a little jumbled there. And also at this point is when I kind of noticed that the music had taken a turn from being kind of subtle and piercing to kind of, I wouldn't say generic, but it feels like a cop drama, like guitar riff that goes on throughout it. I think it's a guitar riff. I don't know music, but um, I just don't know how I felt about it because it's it doesn't it didn't really stand out the way that that subtle piercing kind of single um, single note score did earlier in the episode. And so by this point, we are in the end game of the episode. We are it's everything is moving forward. We are getting. Um, we're getting down to kind of the, the end run of the episode and there's the introduction of the hard drive there, or there's the reveal, the finding of the hard drive when they, when they find the location of Garrett um, and then they find the hard drive. And this is a very kind of feels like a very 24 type of thing. Um, but they're looking into the hard drive and they, they want to deactivate the drones and everything because there's the reveal that the earlier that the, that the uh, drones were not under granular's control. Um, Garrett has control of it. He has the, he has control of all the drones. So they find this hard drive so that they can turn it off. And I like that Karen is the one who recognizes the risk as they're setting it up to deactivate. She's kind of going through and saying like, they wouldn't make sense for him to leave that behind for us to deactivate it. Like that doesn't make sense. Um, so while she's kind of the Luddite of the group, she's the one that doesn't really take to take to the internet or take to technology. She's still the seasoned detective who can recognize that it's not that, that they're being played. And I just, I love, I love how that plays out. I really, I really did like that, that kind of, um, that power struggle. And it's like, it's tense when, when Sean actually, goes ahead and does it um it's it's oh it's it's uh irreparable and and catastrophic and terrifying really um and that's kind of that kind of brings us into the end of the episode um we see the end of karen's testimony and we see uh it's kind of the scale of it is kind of hammered home with that home with that flashback shot to blue and karen in what looks like a warehouse that's filled with uh, dead bodies. It's really good imagery in this episode. It kind of reminded me somewhat of, uh, of the scene where Stripe wakes up in the barracks and men against fire. And you see everyone kind of laying there in unison dreaming and everything. So it's kind of a similar kind of thing, very vague similarity, but it's how I connected uh, to it. Um, and I did notice that at the end of her testimony, in the present day scenes, uh, she's, she was now perfectly center in the center of the frame as she leaves the courtroom. And I think that that, maybe that puts it together that in the beginning, we don't know enough about her. So she's, uh, her face is partially obscured. We don't know what's going on. It's kind of playing up the confusion. Um, so now that we have the whole story, she's completely dead center on the frame as she, as she gets up and leaves the, the courtroom. Um, in this, I kind of feel like, I feel like the ending really uh, didn't didn't live up to the episode, or didn't really. Uh, the ending was disappointing, is what I'd say. Um, 
we get another Easter egg uh, when we're when we're sitting in the uh, bar and we see uh, Garrett is sitting at the bar and he's watching TV. Um, there's an Easter egg on the on and again on the news ticker that says uh, Skillane appeal thrown out of court, and then another one that says uh, uh, Sato announces immersive new gaming system. So that's a, a reference to playtest. And Skillane appealing thrown uh, appeal thrown out of court, of course, is a reference to White Bear. And we see Karen leaving the the tribunal, and then we see um, uh, Sean kind of going up to take to give his testimony, which I would be very interesting to, interested to see what uh, what that would be like. And that's and that's also another fault of the episode is that we we get and maybe this is well no this isn't necessarily my fandom of uh, Benedict Wong. This is just a lacking of the episode, but we don't get much of him. Like he's a very good actor, and we don't get a lot of him in the episode. And that's to a fault where we uh, get to see the start of his, not even the start of his testimony. We get to see him sit there to give his testimony, and then that's it. Um, we get background on what happened to Blue after, um, or what Karen says happens to Blue after everything happens. But we don't get any idea of what what uh, Sean went through. I mean, he's the one that pr- that pushed the button despite Karen not wanting him to. Like, what was his reaction? What? How was he dealing with it? Um, I think that that's a fault of the episode, but I digress. So as Karen leaves, we get this media circus outside the courtroom that uh, shows that nothing has really changed as far as outrage is concerned. Um, they're, they have signs up. They're pounding on the window as, as the, her car passes by them. It reminded me a lot of White Bear. Um, and that's also, I'll bring that up a little bit later too, um, or after my, after I wrap this up. But overall, I just, I wish that the episode had a more impactful final scene. Um, we were kind of left to wonder what Blue is going to do to Garrett because she finds him, she follows him, she texts Karen the Gotham thing. I mean, I assume she's going to murder him. That's pretty much a given, it seems, unless she's going to bring him back to stand trial. It's a little too ambiguous for my taste. And it, I'm someone who, that's, that's coming from someone who really likes ambiguity in, in his movies and shows. Um, it's just not enough to really, it's not enough of a button on the episode. Um, cause this episode has introduced this Garrett character, um, as the big bad villain of orchestrating everything. We've given him backstory and everything, but all of like that introduction happens well over halfway through the episode. So to have the episode end with blue in pursuit of him, I mean, I have no idea what to, what to think is going to happen after it. I just think that it ends like the ending just didn't give me enough to, to go off of. So I guess overall, um, hated in the nation is kind of similar to a lot of black mirrors, lesser episodes. Um, in that it's, it's better upon rewatching it. Um, it's still the weakest episode of season three and probably the weakest of the series as a whole. Um, if I'm being honest, although I, I don't know, I, I think the episode might be a little bit stronger than the national anthem, but I don't know. I think that one of the fault, one of the issues I have with it is that there's an, it's a 90 minute episode and it, it made me hope that this would be kind of as cleverly put together and as mind bending as white Christmas, like white Christmas kind of feels like the culmination of the first two seasons of black mirror as a whole, but hated in the nation doesn't have that doesn't have that appeal to it and in my first viewing that was one of the big points of contention for me because i kind of went into it with that bias but the second time around i knew not to look for that and i still felt a little let down so hated in the nation didn't deliver in that regard really but um the episode overall still had its merits it's it's a pretty it's a pretty slick detective story but it doesn't really fit what Black Mirror to me has been so far. And I think that that's its ultimate downfall and the ultimate reason why I don't think it, it's a, it's a very strong episode in this, in this batch of episodes. Um, and ultimately at the end of the day, I'm, I'm kind of left wondering what greater statement the show is making with this episode. Um, it is kind of an indictment of internet outrage culture and everything. And that's great. Um, it's a commentary on government surveillance and stuff. And that's, that's fine. Um, 
and I get it. I get that commentary and everything, but especially with like the internet outrage, is that really so different from the themes of White Bear? Um, or is that different enough from the themes of White Bear to warrant an entire episode? And I think that that's kind of one of the ultimate, ultimate issues that, uh, come about with this episode is that it's in its theme and in its, in its handling of, uh, of our culture and of its, its commentary on its social commentary on us. It's a little too close to white bear. And it's kind of seems like they're kind of doing the same, not necessarily the same thing, but they're, they're playing in the same playground as they did with white bear. And it isn't offering as much new as I would hope it would. So that's kind of my big issue with hated in the nation. Um, if you've seen the episode once and you thought it was disappointing or you weren't too crazy about it, I would, I would recommend checking it out again because the second viewing does improve a little bit of it, but not enough to really make you think that it's, um, the best episode of the season by any stretch. Okay. And that's my review of hated in the nation. And, uh, that wraps up my review series of black mirror on uh anthology here and i have i've had a blast doing these reviews i've i've been really uh excited to kind of to kind of do that and to not necessarily change up from from twilight zone but i i'm i hope that you guys appreciate you know the diversity of content that i'm that i'm giving you guys here um because i'm i'm really having a blast doing it and uh, yeah. So on that note, um, I'm going to kind of run through a couple of posts from the, uh, Reddit AMA with Charlie Brooker, um, that he did a while back. So first of all, the, one of the questions was, um, regarding, well, the question itself wasn't regarding hated in the nation, but the answer was, um, one of the questions was, why is this entire series based around the premise? What if phones, but too much? Um, and, uh, uh, Charlie Brooker, <laughs> Charlie Brooker's response was that line appears in hated and hated in the nation. We're actually pro technology promise. The show isn't anti-tech. We love all the product and UI, UI design. It's, it's not waving a fist at the iCloud. It's a, it's a mix of human stories and sometimes fun house, fun house twist in the tail stuff. Uh, the people who think it's grumpy are the grumpy ones. Boo to those people. Boo. And then, uh, and then he followed it. <laughs> he followed, uh, followed that up with another comment that said, Annabelle just said, really? As I typed that. Uh, so I, I thought that was pretty funny. Annabelle, of course, being his uh, producing partner, Annabelle Jones. Um, the, uh, next question on it was, what is, what is your writing process like? Like, do you plan methodically or just jump straight in? And, uh, his response was depends on the story. San Junipero jumped straight in, hated in the nation, planned for ages. And then the per- someone someone had a follow up question regarding that and said, "Hated in the nation is my hands down favorite and extremely underrated, according to uh, the Black Mirror sub at least." And the response was, uh, "No two people can agree on their favorites. It seems we've seen all of them labeled worst and best. Uh, suppose that's the nature of an anthology. You judgmental monsters." Um, God, I just I loved this AMA, guys. <laughs> I really did. Um, and I won't I won't go into too many. I had a lot of like general ones, um, uh, a lot of general ones that I was going to bring up. But this episode's kind of long. You can find it on. Uh, in the link in the show notes of, uh, and on Reddit. Um, I do want to mention that, uh, someone did ask Charlie Brooker, do you have any screenwriting advice? And, uh, he said, read on writing by Stephen King and on filmmaking by Alexander McKendrick. Uh, just to just try to power f- through the first draft. That'll be shit. You can rewrite it later. You will rewrite it later. Uh, try Scrivener. Once you know what the storyline is, uh, write the first draft standing up. You waste less time because it's slightly uncomfortable. Probably, Loads of other advice, but that's off the top of my head. And, uh, and yeah, I've actually used Scrivener. That's a really great, uh, program. Um, okay. And then he had a couple, a couple posts or a couple questions about season four. And I figured this is as good a time as any to, to cover those in this, uh, in this review series. So someone asked anything you can tell us or anything you can let us know about season four of Black Mirror. And, uh, he said, and this was, I mean, obviously this was a while ago. Um, he said, well, Jodie Foster is about to start shooting one starring Rosemary DeWitt. So that's bloody exciting. 
won't slash can't tell you what yet what the storyline is, but I can say overall we're about halfway through se- halfway through the scripts for season four, and so far they're very different again from previous stories, different settings again. So that's cool. And then this, <laughs> this I thought was really, I, I really got a kick out of this one. So, and this will be the last one for the Reddit AMA section, but um, he was asked, when can we expect season four to premiere? And again, this was a while ago that this Reddit AMA was posted. Um, and he said, we're about to start shooting one. So as soon as we finish that bit and shot another five and then given them all a good polish 2017, almost certainly in other words, and uh, someone said, damn, IMDb has the date of release as uh, January 1st, 2017. And Charlie, Charlie Brooker's uh, response was just, that's impossible. Fuck. Um, I just, I I don't know. I loved reading this Reddit AMA and I recommend checking it out. Um, and yeah, so, that, so that'll do it for my review series of Black Mirror, the bonus review series. Um, who's to say what other bonus review series I might do in 2017? I don't know. I Doubling up episodes kind of took a little bit out of me um, here because, uh, as you can tell, I'm uh, a little late getting these episodes out, but I finished it, so, so that's great. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Um, I know that Hulu has a sci-fi anthology series from the from the guys at Rocket Jump uh, coming out called Dimension 404. There hasn't been any announcement of when it will come out, but uh, I've referenced it on the podcast before. And uh, the people at Rocket Jump, they've posted uh, production diaries and, and uh, behind-the-scenes stuff about it, and they've released the cast uh, or they've announced casts casting and everything. Like I think Joel McHale is going to be in one and several other people are going to be in several of them. Obviously that's how, that's how this kind of thing works. But when that, when that gets closer, when that gets uh, released, I might do another bonus review series on that. Uh, But in the meantime, we're almost to season two of, of the twilight zone. So I am really excited to dig into that and get back to the normal status quo of, of anthology here. Um, before that, of course, next week, we're going to have a, uh, a special episode with, with tiny, my co-host from the obsessive viewer, where we're going to be reviewing Rod Serling's the time element. Um, if you listen to the season one wrap up episode, you'll know that that doesn't, isn't really available or easily accessible on like YouTube or anything. So we kept it spoiler free, but if you want to check it out, there is an audible audio, uh, radio play available, um, that the, I mean, on audible, it's only like a dollar and 39 cents and it sounds like it's got good production value. So, um, check it out and then, uh, join us when, uh, me and tiny talk about the time element, uh, next time on anthology. And then, uh, also finally, um, this first episode of season two will be covering, uh, King nine will not return the season two premiere of the twilight zone. And of course the bonus review for that episode is going to be bombers moon, which is an episode of playhouse 90. And, uh, you can find that in its entirety on YouTube. Uh, just Google or just search for bombers moon and you'll be able to find that. So you can watch that in its entirety on YouTube to prepare for the next, uh, regular episode of anthology, which should be coming in a couple weeks. And that'll do it for this bonus episode review series of black mirror. Uh, thank you guys for listening to it and indulging me in talking about, uh, in, in talking about one of my favorite shows currently on the air, um, and letting me do that while, while, uh, while also doing the regular twilight zone episodes. So, um, thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next time for season two of anthology and of the twilight zone. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more episodes at AnthologyPod.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, 
or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out The Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to the Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious... Check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.